Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in our series called Meals with Jesus. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke together, and uh, I think it's a fascinating topic. It's a great way to look through Luke. Uh, Luke obviously saw something special in these meals that Jesus had because he records them. Basically, Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal throughout the entire Gospel. And... um, I, I love looking at him. I've said that, you know, it's a picture of the grace of God that Jesus will have a meal with anyone. And uh, he's, you know, he's had the worst of the worst, the tax collectors, the people that consider themselves better than everybody else, you know, the Pharisees, the multitudes. All of these have been with him and been invited to the table and the meal. Um, you know, the fellowship that, that we've watched take place is what's important. Um, it was more than just trying to satisfy hunger. It was, it was something deeply relational about uh, sharing a meal and, and having, you know, Jesus involved, fully God, fully man, uh, inviting everyone to the table. He's, he's inviting everyone into relationship with him. It's a big deal um, that's happening throughout the Gospel of Luke. And I've said, you know, throughout this series, as a way to kind of remember it, that before Jesus ever picked up the cross, he picked up a fork and things started changing. So um, last week we talked about the Last Supper, which you might have thought was a good place to end the thing, because the Last Supper, it sounded like the last meal, but alas, it's really not. Uh, It's the way we know it, the Last Supper. But um, after now the crucifixion and resurrection, um, there's a couple of more meals to look at. Fascinatingly enough, it wasn't over. And so I want to look today at a meal that happens after the crucifixion and resurrection, and we're going to jump into that in just a moment. A couple of bad jokes, that was the intro this is the transition. This is one you're going to have to think about. What kind of cheese is made backwards? Eat them. Just write it down and think about it. <laughs> made, if you look at it, it's eat them. But it's backwards. What kind of cheese is made backwards? Eat them. Edom is a type of cheese. Nothing? Okay. <sighs> oh, well. What did the grape say when the elephant stepped on it? Nothing. It just let out a little wine. See, that was really bad, but it's so much better than the first one, it got a laugh. See, timing and positioning is everything when it comes to bad jokes. Scripture reading here on purpose. Thank you, Lord, for this. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now, that same day... Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened? Uh, There in these days, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, 
How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told um, what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And blessed be the word of the Lord. This is a great uh, passage of scripture uh, and, and it reveals to us uh, not only something I think about who we are, but how Jesus really opens our eyes to see him for who he is and, uh, and about how we come to know him uh, on this journey uh, that we all are on with the Lord, hopefully, with him together. And so um, I think it's interesting, point number one in your notes, the search and rescue mission continues. We've been talking about this throughout this series that um, Jesus said he came to seek and to save what was lost and I've called it a search and rescue mission and that was happening with the table meals and he kept explaining why he was inviting people to the table he was coming to seek and to save that which was lost and the, you know, he told the parables about you know, something being lost and the search for it and then when it was found there was rejoicing and here even after, and I think it's significant after the crucifixion and resurrection Jesus is still demonstrating that he's on the search and rescue mission he's going to talk to these two disciples who were walking down the road um, pretty discouraged. We saw it again in verse 13. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking about everything that happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, these disciples, very interesting, one uh, has a name, uh, Cleopas, um, we think that in another one of the Gospels, he's called Clopas. Uh, and um, if it's in fact the same uh, disciple, uh, you know, that was there with Jesus, he was married to um, one of the Marys who was actually at the cross with Jesus, one of the women that was at the cross, we believe, and you can find that in one of the other Gospels. And so she would have been a witness to the actual crucifixion um, and would have seen Jesus die. Uh, I think it's very possible that the two people are walking along there are actually Clopas and his wife um, walking back to their village after these events. Could be, could be two guys walking along, but it doesn't say. It just says Clopas and another disciple. Very possible. To, I think it's his wife. It doesn't really matter to the story, but um, I, I think when you, you start thinking about the events and what's taking place, that um, the, these two uh, obviously uh, knew about Jesus and um, they, they had probably heard him speak and they, they had, you know, witnessed the things that he's doing. He even says that he had done those things. Um, and yet all of a sudden we see that they, Jesus is with him and they don't recognize him. And you go, that doesn't really even make sense. How is that possible? I have some thoughts for you on that uh, about how sometimes we can't really see the things that we ought to see uh, and how our eyes are not always open. Part of me thinks that they were so ready for 
the paradigm that they expected was that Jesus, when he came, the Messiah would come and he would reestablish the political kingdom. All the way through the Gospels, you see the guys are all sort of positioning themselves, his, especially his main guys, um, for who's going to be the greatest and what seats they're going to have. And they're expecting a political kingdom to be established by Jesus um, at this point in time. In fact, even after the death and resurrection, they'll ask him in Acts 1, uh, they'll say, are you at this time going to establish the kingdom of Israel? Even after all of this, they're still waiting for this political kingdom to be established that would return Israel to its former glory at the time of David. And when that didn't happen, when Jesus uh, died, and that's where they're at right now, they've they've just, all they know is that he's died. And they, they, even though he's been preparing them and telling them, watch out, things are going to happen and this has to take place, none of them could um, sort of relate to what was taking place. And so um, you've got to think that most of them, the disciples, not only the, the 11, but guys like this, you know, there was about 120 there, um, you know, in the upper room-ish. Most of them probably thought, well, the whole thing was kind of a failure at this point. They devoted their lives to them. They were shook up really badly. And here these two were, were heading home um, because, it, you know, they figured it was over. Uh, and so they're, they're walking along like a sort of a misplaced hope sort of thing. And at that point, they really just didn't have enough faith to sort of grasp what was taking place. You know, the empty tomb, um, e- even though they'd heard that it was empty, they, they couldn't really believe that something as miraculous as being raised from the dead could have taken place. And so all of this is sort of outside their paradigm. And I don't think because of that, they're able to recognize Jesus as he walks along with them. And, and so I, I think, you know, the point that Luke's trying to make is, although they could see this, this pe- person who was Jesus, they couldn't really see him for who he was. And I think that's what's happening at that point. They, they just couldn't see him for who he really was. And uh, their eyes just weren't opened uh, to who he really was in all of this and the, the full extent of why he'd come and what he was up to, and what needed to happen, and why there needed to be a crucifixion. And they've got to grasp the whole idea of why that had to happen, and the resurrection, and what was taking place. They had to adjust their paradigm in the process. So, sort of knowing about Jesus, and, and knowing, really knowing him, are two different things that are significant to us. Now, point number two is that the Scripture tells us the truth about Jesus. The Scripture tells us the truth about Jesus. Luke 24, 25 uh, through 27. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Now this is cool. So what happens is Jesus is there. He shows up and He begins to show them out of the Scripture what was going on. And when it says Moses and all the prophets, um, you know that, that Moses, right, he wrote Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and, and uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, and Gen- I'm missing one of them at the moment, but I'll get it. Uh, uh, and, and, and so all of those, you know, the first five books uh, Moses wrote, and then the rest of them are attributed to, you know, mostly the prophets. Some of the other guys are along there. But he's, he's basically saying that the Old Testament, as we know it, is explaining uh, who Jesus is and what had to happen, that it was all there in the Scripture, and they just weren't able to see it. 
And so we don't know. It doesn't tell us exactly what verses that he opened before them. But, you know, I, I just sort of taken a shot at it. He could have gone back to one that we study all the time on Wednesday night. We call it the crimson thread of redemption. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That, that's where the whole redemptive plan starts is with that verse. And then in Deuteronomy 18.15, you know, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Isaiah, into the prophets now, 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah 53, 12, therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, we, we, we don't know, like I said, what verses he used, but we know that he walked them through the revelation of, of himself through the Old Testament, through Moses, the first five books, and throughout the prophets that Jesus shared with them and opened to them and revealed to them from the Scripture who he was and why he had come and why it was necessary. And, and you know, what Jesus wanted them to see was that if they believed what the Scriptures said about him, then they would understand why he'd come and why he'd had to suffer. See, he was trying to open their, them to the understanding of why it needed to happen the way it did. Why, why he had to come that first time and sacrifice and suffer and come as a lamb. Uh, and that, that he was coming again, but that was going to be later on. And that, you know, we're waiting now for that second coming when, when he comes as a lion. And, and he sets everything back and the way it was, needs to be. And everything is going to be restored when he returns um, but these two, they're two separate events. And the, the Scripture, um, you, you know, if they would just open their eyes to see, would see that this is why he has to come. He had to come and pay for the sins of the world this time. He had to come and he had to break the power of the enemy. He had to, uh, and, and it was a spiritual power. They were so into a political power and blaming Rome that the, the enemy had sort of been able to operate, um, you know, with, without even being known, sort of, um, through all those years. And, and Jesus introduces light, and, and, you know, so that the darkness is exposed, and he, he uh, you know, he, he takes a, and binds the enemy at the cross. And, and now we have this period of time, this harvest period, where people can come to know the Lord uh, until he returns, until he tarries. And so we're, we're in this whole process, and he's, he's just building them from the Scripture, all that they need to know through the process. And in Luke 16, there's a fascinating verse. Jesus said this, verse 31. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The, the resurrection in and of itself, even if they, they wouldn't believe that unless they understand the truth about who Jesus is and why he had to come and why it was necessary and what he was doing in the process. And so I, you know, I think it's significant because today, culturally, um, a lot of people sort of try to tell you who Jesus is the way they understand him. 
And they'll say things like, you know, he's one of many ways to, to get to heaven. Uh, some people say he was a good man. Uh, some will say he was a good prophet or a great prophet, a good teacher. Uh, you know, or he was a rebel who defied the Roman authorities. But outside uh, of a knowledge of Scripture, of who Jesus is, you will never really have a, an understanding of who he really is. The, who he really is is revealed to us in the Scriptures. And when we know the Scriptures then, it builds our faith. And then, you know, it's our faith that, that allows us to come to Jesus. The, the truth of Scripture um, about Jesus leads us to be able to have a personal faith in him in the process. Because outside of the world of, word of God, there's no reliable witness to who Jesus really is. So Jesus presents to them the scriptures about who he is. And we know from what they say later on that, that, that it was just burning within them the whole time. It was making sense. Then something interesting happens. And that's the third point. Here we come to a meal. The power of the fellowship at the meal. And so they invite Jesus to have a meal with them. And, and it fascinates me that it was only as they had fellowship with Jesus that he disclosed himself to them. It was only at that point that they were able to see that it was actually Jesus. And, and see, Jesus reveals himself to those whose eyes have been opened through the truth of his word. Luke 24, 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to him. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. That had to be something, huh? So, you know, I tell you, when you read the Scripture, you always should try and think, one of the things I like to do is think about what it would have been like to be there. How would you like to have been one of those two? You're, you're walking down, and it's, it's interesting, we're doing a 5K, so they're doing a, a little bit longer than a 5K. This walk was about 7 miles, so call it a 10K. Uh, they do a 10K. Uh, with Jesus back to Emmaus. And then what's even better, though, is after Jesus reveals himself and disappears, they run back. They do another 10K, this time running, all the way back to go and tell everybody else what had happened. But th so I like to think about, okay, what would it have been like? So here's this guy. You, you're not sure who it is. Um, and you're, you're really a mess because everything that you'd hoped in has kind of been upside down. And here comes this, and they're, they're teaching, and it's, and it's you know, it's burning within you, the, the idea who it is, and you sit down and you, you, you do that, you invite him in, and, and as you invite him in, all of a sudden you realize who he really is. All the truth of Scripture then bursts up within them and they see Jesus. And I just think how amazing it must have been that there's Jesus, you know, he's at the table, the, the whole thing, you know, the, they'd seen, they'd been, they knew that he had died, and they'd heard the stories that he wasn't there anymore, that, you know, they didn't understand it, but now he's right there in front of them, and I think they were just like, oh, cool, you're here, and then boom, they, he's gone. And I think, wow, that had to be, you know, it's just getting them really stirred up in the process. But see, I think this happens when they... When they, when they recognize him, he disappears because fellowship from that time forward um, isn't going to be on, it's not going to depend on our ability to see him. It's going to depend on him, on us taking him at his word. See, that's what's happening now post-resurrection. We're still invited to the table. But, but we have to know that he's with us at the table even when we don't see him. He's with us now. Uh, he is indeed God with us. 
And we know that because of the truth of the Scripture. John 20, 29, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, we're, we're, we're now living in a spot where we, we take him at his word in relationship to him. And it's significant because it, it all comes together at the point where we invite him in. It all comes together at that point. And, and I, you know, we, we looked earlier at a scripture in Revelation. He said, behold, I stand at the door. The knock, open the door, and I will come in and eat with you. I have a share a meal with you. That it's a picture of fellowship that he's, he's going with there. And that continues on. It continues on today. It continues on after the crucifixion and resurrection, the idea of, of fellowship with Jesus, and it's significant around the table, and that, that he's inviting us still into that type of relationship, a deeply personal relationship where we, we not only know about him, but we know him. We, we not only under, know, you know about who he is, but we know who he is because we're involved in relationship with him. It's, a, it's this combination that takes place of, of knowing the scriptures about him and then putting your faith in him, and as you do, then really beginning to that spot in relationship where you know him, where, where you understand that he's with you. Even when you don't see him, he's with you. And, and that's an amazing thing that we have going on now uh, in the Lord on this side of the crucifixion and resurrection. We still have this amazing fellowship with Jesus available to us and that he's with us. And that when we gather together, he's with us. And next week when we, we look, we're going to continue on in, in Luke, in, in another, you know, after the two guys, or Clopas and his wife, whoever it is, after they go running back, Jesus shows up there too. And it's fascinating what happens at that encounter too because he's hungry again. Um, Jesus is. And uh, Luke, Luke puts that in there on purpose. Jesus will say, you got anything to eat? I love that yeah. <laughs> when he's there. So anyway, um, and there's something about it that's significant in our relationship with him. So, you know, my, my hope is this. You know, put your trust, your hope, your faith in him, and that's where we experience full, abundant, now and forever life. It's in this relationship we have with him. Knowing who he is, knowing what the scripture says about him, and then inviting him into our lives so that we can be in full, uh, connected relationship with Jesus, because that's where life is found. That's where we're going to end it today. If you're watching my video, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, if you need prayer, go to the website, and uh, we will pray for you. There's a spot to put your prayers in there. Hope to see you here soon, and uh, thanks for coming. God bless.